Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. Thanks again for making this one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work. If you enjoy what we do, please like, comment, rate, and share in your favorite podcast app, and we'll keep sharing great conversations. I'm your host, Dan Turchin, advisor at Insight Finder, the System of Intelligence for IT Operations, and CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. Using AI to deliver better employee experiences starts with an appreciation for the power of AI to make people better. AI doesn't need to be scary. AI can augment human abilities and automate mundane tasks so we can focus on doing more of what we love. Today's guest became fascinated by technology and specifically AI after enduring a challenging set of personal circumstances and overcoming them. She's the best example of how a positive attitude and a willingness to get out there and hustle can lead to unexpected opportunities. Giselle Mota is a principal in the future of work practice at ADP. She's learned to celebrate diversity and help others embrace technology to advance their own careers. Giselle is also a popular TEDx speaker who previously provided AI strategy consulting after serving on the Future of Work team at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Without further ado, it really is my pleasure to welcome Giselle to AI and the Future of Work. Giselle, let's kick things off by having you share a little bit more about your, your background and uh, how you got into this space. Thank you, Dan. And I'm so happy to be here talking to you today, by the way. Uh, but I will say, just to start off, absolutely. So my start into this world came from me struggling with my own learning disabilities, which uh, stem from dyslexia. Uh, that was the, what the TEDx talk was about. And I learned from a young age that I had to learn how to adapt and how to find what worked best for me when it came to learning and growing. And when I had the teacher that showed me that I had a competency for things like pattern recognition, mathematics, putting concepts together, seeing big pictures where others didn't see it, I was able to start learning even better at everything I applied myself to do. So I basically grew fond of numbers and I was, I was, Dan, I was a little bit of a nerd, I must say, and I still am to this day of a self-professed nerd <laughs> because I love being able to break down a problem uh, by its smallest forms. And that's why I see things, for example, an algorithm or learning about the different components of what goes into uh, AI and machine learning. And all of those different pieces came together for me and it's led me to the world where I am today, which is speaking quite a bit about AI and the future of work and even all that makes up this crazy concept of the future of work, which is ever evolving. So. That's kind of how I came to it. And my heart is always about catalyzing a future, making sure that everybody is a part of a positive future, um, that no one's left behind and that everyone's included. And that's where my heart is behind all of the nerdy and techie things that I do for a living. Well, I know from listening to your talks that so much a part, such a big part of your personal journey is a process of, like you alluded to, self-exploration. And something I'd love to know is who do you consider your role models and what have you learned from them? Yeah. Honestly, if, if you ask me at my core about my role models, it goes right back to my family. My family, especially my mother, uh, came from poverty, 
came from a, a, basically a developing country, the Dominican Republic, what it is today wasn't what it was several years ago. My Both of my parents had to make something out of nothing when they left there and came to the United States as immigrants. So I'm first generation American. And I saw what it meant for them to have to struggle and accommodate and adapt and think on their feet and build what they built for themselves. And that created in me an entrepreneurial spirit, um, an enterprising spirit, a learning spirit, because I needed to, to learn and advance in life. So they're my number one role models, especially my mother. Um, from there, in the field that I'm in, I love hearing from all kinds of different people and practices. So I don't only follow people who talk about, quote unquote, the future of work. I follow people who think about the future. So lots of futurists. Um, I have um, I listen to Bernard Marr, an amazing author and speaker around the future of work and artificial intelligence, especially um, Joy Bulawami and Renee um, comes to mind, Renee Cummings. Uh, who talk a lot about AI and inclusivity as Black women. And I love to hear their perspective. Renee specifically has been doing a lot of work around social justice and uh, people who get sometimes through the criminal system and how sometimes aspects such as facial recognition and certain algorithms work in bias in discrimination against certain groups of people. Joy uh, was an MIT researcher. She's a doctor and she uh, showed the world that facial recognition was being misused and wasn't able to identify people of color as it did for with others. And she's been doing amazing work. So I don't know, there's something about women in AI <laughs> that gets me extremely excited and women in the future of work being able to break down walls and bring up very uh, pertinent issues that we need to be thinking about as a society. Um, apart from that, I also love listening to people who talk about humanity and social justice. And I could just name a plethora of people outside of the technical space, uh, again, because my heart aligns to the work that I do. Joy, if you are listening, and I hope you are, you are invited to join us on this podcast anytime. Would love to have a conversation about the AJL, the Algorithmic Justice League. Both Giselle and I are your fans. Absolutely. I'm going to send this to Joy. Joy, I'm going to send you this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. You must. Now, uh, you talked a little bit about uh, you have a natural affinity for problem solving. And I've heard you talk in the past a little bit about what got you excited about artificial intelligence. Could you t tell the listeners, what, uh, how did you stumble into this fascination with AI? Yeah. The fascination, again, stems from my love for mathematics and learning. And so the learning component for me was uh, being able to look at a technology and, and, and technological approaches and say, how can we use this to better the way somebody learns? So one of the ways that I got into AI was through helping other organizations learn how to apply artificial intelligence and machine learning to learning and development. I looked at my own learning and I would have loved Dan to have like a personal teacher or instructor with me that would have been able to understand how my mind was working and be able, if I could take that with me from class to class, we could duplicate that. And I, you, my history courses, my economics courses, my, you know, whatever courses you name, I would have loved to have curation of content given to me in a personalized approach or someone saying, oh, Giselle, you are struggling in this specific area. So let's give you specialized attention in this area. So I started to think about with time, how could you replicate that experience? And AI and machine learning can do that. 
So just like when you're watching Netflix and you start getting into the rabbit hole of, you know, other content that's being recommended to you based on your past history, or you're shopping on Amazon and Amazon can realize that you uh, are out of a particular item. So automatically it will uh, put that into your cart and, and assist you that way. So these recommendations, the that AI machine learning provides for people to get better at what they whether that's learning and development at work, or maybe it's a skill that you need to develop that gets you to the career path that you want to go to, whatever it is. I find that AI machine learning can help for good in that way. So that's how I started to get into the world of that. And then my, my vision started to amplify on the many other use cases from hire to retire uh, within organizations on how you can implement AI machine learning. So that's basically how that started. We had a great guest on a while back named Brian Talaby, who's the CEO of a company called Ahura, A-H-U-R-A, AI. And Ahura is developing uh, AI that creates these personalized learning journeys for employees who are specifically in fields that are good candidates for automation. So helping them upskill and reskill. Um, very relevant to what, what we're talking That's about terrific. here. And I love that piece because... I love what you just said, because there's one thing to use AI and machine learning to curate or or bring forth an insight on the data. Okay, these are the jobs that are to be automated. Great. But what do you do then? Which that's the next piece. What's the action that humans can take, which is act upon it, help skill people up. Okay, so let's put a little finer point on that. So um, reconcile these two things. On the one hand, you know, you already talked about how you're an advocate for diversity in the workplace and social justice. And then on the other hand, one of the biggest criticisms or risks of more AI in the workplace is that biased data leads to biased decision-making. How do you think about the, the role of AI? And I mean, you're using positive language and you're excited about the future of AI in the workplace. What concerns you about the potential negative impact of introducing bias using AI? Yeah. I think the potential issues are that we remove humans from the experience completely. You cannot completely put your decision-making and whatever it may be on AI and machine learning. You need a human to do that. For example, let's say, and I was just talking about this recently at another event I was was speaking at and about AI in the bias that can be created in hiring decisions and employment decisions. So imagine this scenario. You have an organization who is excited about using benchmarking to determine, hey, how are we doing when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? And how are we doing against others in our industry? Well, the problem with that is if you start doing that, today you're going to get a good insight which maybe you did it two years ago because of the incidences in the murder of George Floyd and and the, the prevalence of recognition of the issue that has existed for a long time, but now it became a global phenomenon. So now you're paying attention to this issue and you're you're comparing yourself to where other people in your industry are two years ago. Where are you today? Have you did you just kind of check where you were or have you checked to see if other industries have increased their practices, if they've done more, if they've, you know, what has changed? And you need to continue to have that human in the loop to say, all right, we checked ourselves back then. Let's check again. And what factors do we need to change and what processes do we need to have in place? Again, another example would be, let's say that you have a video recruiting tool and you're using it to scan uh, and hire people. Well, 
if the AI and machine learning behind that is coming up with recommendations on people's competency, their personality, their et cetera, and you're not asking, well, how is this happening? Does the lighting, and this is real, that happens, Dan, that in real cases, some of these tools, the lighting itself, or if you have a background behind you or not on the video, it can negatively impact how you show up in your scoring, if you're a competent candidate or not, or if your personality is deemed as being positive or not. So these are issues that exist today in the technology. Um, also, if your data is very homogenous and your model of the data is just of a certain group of people, or the people working on your AI machine learning algorithms are a homogenous group of people and they're not diverse, then what's, what's really going into that and what is the oversight going into it? So yes, there are many areas in which we need to like take a step back and make sure that we're looking at it all from a lens of human inclusivity through it all. So you're talking to many CHROs or HR execs who I'm sure are intently listening because they want to incorporate more automation and take advantage of the benefits of AI. But what's your coaching to them? How do they even start? to design processes that are aware of the potential biases that can be introduced? Absolutely, that's a great question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start in a simple way. And the simple way is just look around you. If in your organization today, you don't have different voices at the table and they all look the same or, and when I say that, I don't mean just race and gender and age. I'm talking about experiences, backgrounds, cognitive diversities, the ways that people think differently and see differently. If you don't have different voices at the table, then probably what you're going to end up with is confirmation bias. You will get out what you're putting in and you won't really have much of a change. So I'd say start there. And if in your organization, you can't find those diverse voices, I'd encourage you to look further. Uh, you probably could start borrowing talent from across your organization, even if they're not at senior leadership levels. Start to tap into your employee resource groups, start to tap into your boards and start to, you know, listen to those voices or get an outside consultant to come in who's specializing in diversity and may be able to help you kind of see uh, some problems and processes that you have today from another perspective. Um, secondly, I'd say if you invest in any tool that's using AI or machine learning, hold that provider accountable, ask them questions. It's easy. Just ask the question, Hey, when you're coming up with this recommendation on if this candidate is a good fit or not, or whatever your calculation scores are coming with at the end, how did you come up with that? Who's included in the data? Who, wh what is the model of the data being trained on? Uh, ask questions. How do you use the data of my employees that are being included in this in this program or software or platform? Who has access to it, and what are you doing with that data? Are you, does does a third party have access to this data? Like, ask questions to make sure that you're keeping uh, inclusion. And I'd say the third thing I'll say, just to wrap that one up, is like, be ready to make a mistake and to be agile enough to bounce back from it. So if you notice and you're creating your own solution around AI and machine learning and you notice bias come from it, pivot quickly and take responsibility for it and keep moving forward. Brilliant recommendations, really well. Very concise, very good recommendations. Now, multiple states have introduced laws that make hiring practices that do automated resume screening that, that, that you need to be transparent to the candidate if their resume is being screened by algorithms. Question for you, 
does that go far enough? And to the extent there's a need for regulatory frameworks, what else do you think should be regulated with regard to AI and, and the, the, the hiring or the selection process? Yes, and states are doing that here in the United States, but also globally, we hear about the European Union and all the different ways in which they're kind of uh, honing in on this area. It's important. I think that we need to take a step back and rethink work. And this is where I'll start talking about the future of work a little bit. If we look back right now, the issue with people having a lack of access of really being able to get people with the right skill sets. And one of the reasons for that is because a whole age of people are aging out of the workforce and even retiring early. So a lot of uh, millennials, even uh, Gen Xers are starting to retire earlier and then baby boomers are exiting the workforce. So most of the activity that we're seeing with this lack of skills and lack of finding the right people for the to meet the pace of change of how quickly new roles are coming out, right? It's it's a very it's much of a feedback loop because AI, machine learning keeps advancing, computing power keeps advancing, all these new things are happening and so new jobs are being created. And we don't have uh, the, the pace of the speed of people who are getting the skills for those new jobs versus the way that the new jobs are being created. So in order to uh, solve for that, I would say start looking at other areas of talent pools, right? And so when you're looking for AI and you're trying to source someone through a resume, I'd say, do you really need to be looking at somebody's name and their title as and where they went to school and all of that, does that really matter? Are you really trying to get a cookie cut version of what you think is right based on maybe two years ago, you had a great candidate who came in and now you're trying to cookie cut and get that same person, right? You're trying to, that's what it is when you're modeling those, those algorithms are looking at past candidate successes and matching it to a new person's resume and application and seeing if there's a good fit there for the most part. Well, maybe what I'm saying is expand your parameters. Maybe instead of looking at all of that, look at someone's base skills. It might be a veteran who comes into the workforce, has amazing skills in leadership development, but they don't have corporate leadership development skills. That's okay. Meet them where they are and train them up and skill them up. Maybe it's a caregiver. And there's an organization who was hiring uh, recently specifically for caregivers. And they said, we don't care if you don't have the exact skill sets that we're looking for right now. If you're a caregiver, we're going to meet you where you are. We're going to skill you up and we want you. And I thought that was amazing. You know, so where are the skills? Where are the skills? And I say, so reconsider, just blow up the whole framework of how you're even approaching AI and machine learning, because I think it's a little outdated to look at it only from someone's resume and go from there. I think we need to start focusing a little layer deeper and um, and it can lead to more inclusion that way. So, and to your point, one more thing I'll say, whatever you're doing, whether it's a video interview or parsing through someone's resume or looking at their application or whatever it is, you must tell that person freely, how are you using data? How are you using, how is the algorithm coming to its decision? There must be explainability accountability and openness behind whatever you're doing uh, with the individual. We frequently say on this program, all AI is a data problem. And you referenced Joy's great revelation that dark faces are less likely to be recognized by facial recognition programs because they're underrepresented in the training data. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, you know, as, as obvious as that conclusion is, once we know it, it surprised a lot of people. 
what's your coaching to organizations building AI models when it comes to thinking through latent bias that might be in the data? Hmm. I would say that when you're thinking through it, one, acknowledge it, and then you'll be able to, first of all, that's, you would think that that's an easy thing to, to do or say, because uh, it's just that a lot of people turn a blind eye and they don't want to have certain conversations or even have to go there. So I'd say first acknowledge that that's an issue. It does matter. I know that contrary to some belief where, hey, just consider everybody, you know, we don't have to be focusing on certain groups of people. Well, the problem is, is that in not focusing on certain groups of people for so long, there, there are lack of equity opportunities and there's lack of inclusion that has existed and is in systemic certain issues. Like there's the reason why we have such pay gaps and the reason why in some healthcare incidents, we have some groups of people that are um, often behind and don't get as much access uh, to equity when in healthcare. So it exists. So first acknowledge it. Then approach it, fix it, say, what else do we need to be doing to consider um, diversifying our talent? So for example, if it is pay inequities, are we only looking at man versus woman gender, for example? Well, what about all the non-binary people in our data set who don't identify with woman or man, and we don't consider their pay inequities that might exist? Or what about gender equity when we're not thinking about the man who is at home taking care of his children is, and he might not be the sole provider in the home. Or So we have to think about diversifying the data itself. And maybe one way to do that is start to, again, rely on a little bit more benchmarking from others or um, start to ingest more data on the outside. And I would say just kind of work on focusing on what is the data going in? And if it's not really representative of our population of people truly and where we're trying to go, then we need to readdress how we're kind of looking at that. Because again, if not, you'll get confirmation bias. The same data in will be the same results out. So let's build on the theme of the future of work. So you're talking to a lot of uh, students, maybe in high school, maybe in college, and they're getting fed a steady drip of fear about the incursion of automation in mm -hmm. traditional traditional fields. Take the, take the other side of that argument. What are the okay. kinds of new fields that are being created sure. by AI and machine learning that you would encourage students to be you know, in, investing in skills that will make them experts at that will, will thrive in the future? Yeah, I love that question. The, the World Economic Forum says that by 2025, like 27 million jobs will be created because of AI and machine learning. So just to give you an idea, we're like, what? We're, we're a couple years away from, from that place. So while automation is taking over certain functions, um, AI and machine learning and automation, intelligent automation, where you have AI in automation, is creating more opportunities. So I'll give you a quick example, and I love to say this. So there's, you know, Postmates, when they first came out with their robotic that uh, device that delivers uh, to college campuses and everywhere, um, they had a young person working remotely who was able to take a remote access control of the robotic device if it flipped over on its side or someone tried to vandalize it. That is someone working with a joystick basically from their, from their college dorm somewhere and you know having a job that didn't exist before. And I'll say that with the prevalence of what people are calling the metaverse, which I call 
more than anything, just it's a marketing name, I think, for something that's already existed, which is basically spatial computing. VR, virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, 3D, all of these things that existed. Blockchain is continuing to develop in Web3. So all of these that existed in, for example, media and gaming, now we're starting to see them come into the world of work. And today there is an individual, a young person again, who works at a virtual uh, subway in in a, a virtual land. And he there's a store that looks like a, a real life uh, subway store. And he's working in that store as an employee and he's manning it. And he and he makes he's he's working there and he's getting compensated in cryptocurrency. So it's very interesting kind of the new roles and jobs that are being developed to that point the new jobs that will exist in this new world of work are actually jobs that have already existed and there will be more new ones that have never existed but the jobs that already exist i want to emphasize this for those who are learning design who are learning data who want to do ux uh, or user experience in design if you're into legal ethics compliance inclusion whatever you're in there's a space for you in the way the world of work is opening up opportunities. So now you can have someone sitting in a design experience that is now a part of a company that is was very stoic before and never opened up to that type of role because now AI automation, new ways of working are being uh, developed. And I know at our company at ADP, we have a anthropologist, a business anthropologist and working in a technology company. And so uh, that just goes to show you the roles are changing because the way we look at work is changing. What are some of the innate human skills that you think can never be automated? Empathy, compassion. Like when Dan, when I got on the call with you, this uh, people didn't see the behind the scenes but you immediately made me feel welcome. You immediately made me feel warm. And that can't be automated. You cannot teach that to a robot, you know, or you can't teach that to an AI. You can try to get close and emulate it, but you can't. So that, that level of empathy and inclusion and the sense of creating a culture of belonging and you know, strategic thinking and uh, creativity, all of those are traits that you won't be able to automate. And we all need to work on that more. And I would even say problem solving, innovating. And I think the world has shown a light on us that with all the political, you know, uh, issues that have come up over the, the past years and issues with racism and issues and all of that, I think that problem solving and being able to just really listen and have conversations are going to be key for the wherever we're going in the future. To your point, uh, we only published the audio of this, but you and I are having a conversation with cameras on, and I, I shared when you entered the, the room that you exude self-confidence and energy. And to, to your point, you're, you're right. There, there's uh, that immediate connection, that, that, that human connection that you and I made is something that you can never never automate. It was a really nice, right. nice way of saying it. Thank you. So let's say uh, you and I are having a version of this conversation and it's 2032. It's, uh, we're taping this actually April Fool's Day. It's April 1, 2022. 10 years from now, we're reflecting on the last decade. What is one workplace behavior that is commonplace that today just seems like science fiction? I would have to say, even though we were just talking about these human beautiful connections, I would have to say that it's going to be way more of a virtual experience, I believe. 
I believe that the way that we're seeing it now, as far as why is this hype again around the metaverse and these virtual spaces and avatars and all of this, why is that happening? I think people learned that with distance, with when you are forced to be uh, without the presence of physicality and people in your life, you get creative and you start finding out ways to date to attend funerals and weddings and all kinds of meetings at work and still do sales calls in a virtual environment. And I think some people have latched onto that idea and concept for business resiliency and also just for like, how do you live in the world when some physicality is taken from it and you can still experience people and connection. And I think that organizations in the, in the near future and by 2032, I think that they'll have a much better grasp on how you can emulate that and, and continue that humanity, but even in virtual spaces. So nothing ever replaces the physical, but there is this new realm of virtual that exists that I don't think is going away anytime soon. Giselle, we're about out of time, but I'm not letting you go without answering one last very important question for me. So okay. you talked about your, uh, your personal journey and your passion around diversity, equity, inclusion. You're talking to a lot of females who aspire to be in STEM careers and also uh, underrepresented minorities. What would you tell them to encourage them to dream big and mm. to know that they do and will have equal access to opportunities like the way you've defined your career? What's, yeah. What are your life lessons that, uh, that, that might inspire them? Yeah, one thing I wanna say to anyone listening is, it doesn't matter where you started, you can get to wherever you wanna go. And I want to encourage everyone listening, you do have to put in the work, but there's also, there are also people along the way who will help open doors for you, who are thinking of you, who are probably speaking your name before you ever arrive into a room. So this concept of imposter syndrome, I don't believe in it. I've been asked to speak in it a few, on it a few times and how to overcome it. And I think one of the ways to overcome it is to, to remember it doesn't exist. You belong you belong. The world is adapting and making space for you. It's making space in many different areas and places. And I just want to encourage everyone, ditch that concept. In fact, it came and was developed by men um, and uh, at a certain point. And that was a word that has been thrown around and people have adopted it as their cloak and identity. But take that off. Um, the other thing is build your skills, like take chances, take opportunities, even if you have to make a lateral move in your career or if you take on extra work, for example, I, and Dan said it before, I am a hustler. I have always done more than one thing. So although I have a full-time role, I've always taught. I sit on boards. Um, I work in my community, sometimes contractually. You know, there's always something that I'm doing. The other thing to the women, especially who are listening, and even people of color, don't feel like you need to stay stuck to your confines. And, and I shared this with Dan before we started, but I am living right now an experiment in the future of work. And I'm gonna give every listener a gift in a second. I'm gonna give you, I wanna hook you up, but I'm living a little nomadic lifestyle and I'm trying different places um, because why not? And I'm seeing different parts of the United States and living and working and playing from there because I believe that the future of work is also about the future of workplace. So I do want to share with everyone, if you want in on that, I'm going to give the listeners a discount code so that they can get, they can get hooked up. So it's the, the program I'm with that enables me to do that is called Hello Landing. So go to hellolanding.com 
And if you use my code, Giselle underscore ITG, Giselle, G-I-S-E-L-L-E underscore ITG, you're going to save $250 off wherever you want to live for the first month. You're welcome. <laughs> Go try it out. I've lived in Atlanta, New York, Miami, Houston, all on this, hellolanding.com, and you can do it too. So give your, so women, people of color, whoever you are, just just go, just go out there and give it a try. Look at that. This podcast just paid off. Good, good ROI on this podcast <laughs> for everyone listening. You're welcome. Well, Giselle, this has been so much fun. Um, and we've got to do this again. We've got to come yes. back and hang out. We're just getting started. Um, let's see. A- anything else that the listeners should know about how to follow you or your work? Uh, right now, you can check me out on LinkedIn. And I, I'm bad at li- updating LinkedIn as much as I am on for IG, so Instagram and Twitter. So you can follow me at, at, at I'm Giselle Mota. I'm Giselle Mota. And you'll see all the different fun things that I'm up to. And you feel free to connect with me. Well, thanks for doing this. This has been a lot of fun and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation. Anytime. Thanks, Dan. You bet. Well, uh, that's a wrap for this week. I'm your host, Dan Turchin of AI and the Future of Work, but uh, we'll be back next week with another fascinating guest.